Peace. This is Cheyenne Salah thanking you all for watching and listening to my new podcast. The door is now open to my brave new world. So sit back and relax and let me share with you a little bit of this thing I call life. <laughs> yeah, baby. Let's go. It's so fun. Yeah, I'm a rebel, I'm a man on a level that nobody has ever seen. For my people in the ghetto, music has a new mood. I'm the Dali. From rock and roll metal to rock and soul metal, my truth sets free. And I will never settle when God smack the devil, the demons I'll flee like, yeah. All right, what's good, y'all? Your boy is back. It's Cheyenne Salah. You watching another episode of Life. We right here on the Brave New World Compound, uh, getting it in and putting it down. Man, I got a, a phenomenal guest that's going to be hanging with us today. So for the next hour or two, man, we just going to get into life. We're going to get into culture. Uh, We're going to get into the dynamics of everything in between. Um, As I always want to stay true to, you know, the thing about this podcast is that we ain't doing nothing blind and we ain't doing nothing speculative. Every single guest that you're going to see on my show, um, the majority of the topics, everything is going to come from real life experiences, real life people, real life relationships, uh, because we got real life issues going on out here in the world. We by no means are saying we're trying to save or solve anything. We're just saying we got some perspective we want to lend. So without any further ado, one of my really good friends, this brother is somebody I met when I was manning the chair of education for the Seattle King County NAACP. He was manning the chair for religious affairs at that time. He's a phenomenal speaker, motivator, pastor, uh, investor, uh, real estate holder, a former athlete, a serious big time all-star basketball player from the area. I want y'all to show some love, give it up for my dude, Mr. Tremaine Palms. Welcome. Thank you, thank you, man. Thank welcome you. to the compound. It ain't like it's the first time you've been here, man. But you absolutely know. not. I have. I don't think our audience knows, man, what you've been doing in the compound, man. <laughs> yeah. So we got to we got to let everybody know how you're doing it on this end of town, man. Hey, man. Look, as you know, man, it's a lot going on. Um, you know, this the whole concept around this was a was a COVID move, man. You know, yeah. like, like like it was for us as athletes. You know, you get a lane closed off. You got to adapt and adjust and and move and create. And so we needed to have a safe place uh, that we can maintain, um, you know, health codes and standards and we can maintain viability and production. So we were fortunate enough to uh, put together a team that helped us facilitate it, man. And, and this is just one of the first creations, you know, the podcast. We got TV stuff going on, music stuff going on. I'm going to be recording late until the night. Uh, tonight, but man, you know, it is what it is, and and, and this is what you got to do at a time like this. You know, you know it all too well, man. Absolutely, you know Absolutely. it all too well. How's the COVID adjustment been going for you, man? Like, what what's what what's shaking in your world? What are you doing, man? Well, you know, I work from home, so you yeah. know, I'm not really out as much. Yeah, um, just being safe, you know, 
my children don't live with me, so I do got to go out and check on my kids and check on my grandbabies. But aside from that, man, it's staying safe. Um, And then, of course, when we build, you know, it's it's always uh, spectacular. It's always 100. So (laughs) I get a chance to be me and uh, get out from the uh, sort of spaces where I need to be serious all the time. So, um, you know, you got to be able to have laughter with it. You know, and so uh, when I get a chance to come to the compound, when he decides to let me in, uh, I'm always grateful. Man, you crazy, man. Look, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you and I have been building for some years now. And, um, you know, our conversations have led in all kinds of, absolutely, um, you know, shall I say, ideas, to say the least. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, in some cases, downright innovations. Uh, but we've been able to create this this feeder system. It's something that um, I'm very conscientious about when it comes particularly to the brothers um, out here in the, in the world right now, man, uh, with an emphasis on black men in America. The ability for brothers to get together, uh, to convene, to share, uh, to have dialogue, um, and whether that's stories of triumph or the war stories of losses, um, and to do that in a, in, in a safe uh, manner when, you know, when we deal in as a culture with so many vulnerabilities, um, that's a very deep thing. I'm curious with you being, you know, with all the accolades, man, being a former athlete and being a pastor, um, how have you seen, you know, the dynamics of the black male um, and his experience uh, in America and, you know, some of the things that appear to stand against us in the fray of trying to get together and trying to do things. Um, what's been your uh, your method or, or what's been some of the uh, the lessons that you've been able to kind of use to guide uh, young brothers onto their path? I think, man, really trying to uh, be transparent, you know, mm. to let them know that, man, I've been where you're at. Right. And the possibility are endless when you avail yourself to the most high. Hmm. So um, the one ingredient that's a must is that we seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Yes, sir. And all these things that would, be, would be added unto us. So uh, trying to get them from the previous life, as we ha- all have, uh, we're no different. Uh, but then slowly making that migration over into a better place. So it's much better on this side than it is on the other side. But what those who are not in that place don't know is that the journey takes some work. And uh, ultimately, we think that in many cases that, you know, we're going to rub some oil on you and you're going to shout a little bit. You're going to feel a little good, f- feel good for a moment. Mm-hmm. And then things are just going to change. And I'm here to tell you that's not true. Hmm. The reality of it is, is as a as an athlete like yourself, uh, we didn't always run our best race, right. although we were in the present moment. And so what we had to figure out was what was the cause of that? Was it in our preparation? Mm. Was it in our mental? Mm. What was it? Mm. Um, And then because we are so absorbed with it. uh, And then there's a difference between those who just played the sport. But Mm -hmm. then there were those who were passionate about the sport. Mm. I've had many, many conversations with my dude, man. And uh, one of the most passionate dudes that I know when it comes to music, when it comes to business, when it comes to sports. Uh, and I think that's one of the second ingredients that's mi- that's missing when it comes to really trying to reach them. Are you really passionate? Hmm. Because the thing that you find to be passionate about is the thing that you find to be your purpose. Wow. Now that's deep. 
Yes. You know, a lot of people, when you think about, you know, defining that that terrain. Yeah. And you got, you know, you got passion on, on one side and you got you got purpose over here. Um, I'm not sure if it's always, uh, you know, shown in a way where you can see the parallel or you can see how those two attributes are teammates uh, to one another in, in, a, in a person's journey. How do you, how does that correlate? Like, how, how do you break that down for someone to understand the two? Well, I'll use my dude for reference. <laughs> when I when I first met him, um, he has numerous accolades and more than I can name. But one of the things that uh, that I was utterly uh, impressed about was that when you got to Hollywood, uh, you were doing the runway. Yeah. Uh, you were doing acting. And so the parallel is that, hey, I'm a rapper, but I'm called to do something that I'm not really ready for. So I thought at the time. But what it did is it gave me an entry to be able to do the thing that I love and I was purposed to do. So mm. sometimes our journey will take us in a different direction, but yeah. ultimately it always lead us back to the thing that we love. Man, that's so true. And that, that's, you know, that that just shined a light on me. You know, I had uh, the internal system just going ding, 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 ding. Because that point of passion was why I was able to take consideration for those things. I remember when when I first got to LA, man, I remember being freaked out, man, because you're going backstage in these places and <laughs> you know, cats is putting on makeup and and uh you know, you you got uh you know, wardrobe and yes. costume and just all just stuff that you'd never seen before. Now mind you, I'm coming from collegiate sports. Uh, so I know what it is. I understand uniform. I understand prep. I understand the nature of getting ready for a game. Um, but I'm coming from an ultra male um, background. Absolutely. You know, my household is five boys and a pop and, and, and a mom who who's uh, not your average female. And she's very spiritually astute. Absolutely. Very well cultured, very well balanced, thoughtful, considerate. Um, you know, it didn't come with the, a lot of the packages that I, that I've heard and that I've experienced, uh, you know, along the way from, from, from that situation. So going into a culture in Hollywood where, um, you know, you, you, you got dynamics going on that you're not used to. And just like you said, my purpose was, man, it was in my gift where absolutely man, I want to rhyme and sing and get in the studio and get on stage and do my thing. Right. But some of the initial doors that opened had nothing to do with that. Right. Um, directly. Yes. Um, but my passion point I love was it. I wanted it so bad. I wanted yeah. to get to where I wanted to get to um, so bad that I was of the frame of mind that, OK, man, if I get the opportunity to model, then let me take this opportunity. If I get the opportunity to act, let me take this opportunity. Uh, if I get the opportunity to, you know, go talk to a group of high school kids, um, you know, whatever was before me. Yes. My passion definitely put me there. And, yes. and it did ultimately lead me to that, that purpose point. Yes. That's, um, that's deep. That's deep. You know, you think about how many people get cut off from purpose because maybe passion isn't all the way there for them. Yes. Um, how do you deal with the, the fear? You know, you talk about, anyone dealing with any form of success is always having to, you know, adjust, if not anything else, right. outright deal with fear factors. 
the unknown. Man, are you willing to do this? Are you willing to do that? How, how does fear play against passion? You know, I, I speak about fear and success often. Um, and one of the main reasons is because I find that fear is a, um, uh, has really held a lot of people back mm -hmm. uh, that would otherwise be successful in whatever arena it is. Um, we learned it in sports very early on. And, uh, you know, as a kid, they would just throw the football in the air and they'd say, hey, Palms, go get it. And they let all the big dudes jump on top of me. Mm. And the and the and the the reason that was was because they were trying to bring the alpha out. Mm. So when the alpha comes out, that that inner person now does what he needs to do to survive. And if you've never had to deal with that, then you don't know how to ignite that. Right. So uh, in business for you. Uh, at that particular stage where you had to model, but that th that burning thing that was still inside of you always was resonating, was ready to go. It's like you turn on the car, right, when it's cold yeah. and it's just idling. That's where you were in the moment because you knew that after the car gets warm, I put it in drive and I'm ready to right, go. Right. So at any given moment, you could transition from the modeling into the rapper. Right. And that's what life is really about uh, when you deal with fear. You got to be able to transition quickly from hey, I hear something at the door, but I go in protective mode right away. So uh, when it comes to my children, when it comes to my own domain, that's just the area that I'm very protective of. So mm. uh, there's a different dude that you see in that particular realm because I serve uh, to be the protector of my home and the things that I love. Yeah, man, the fear thing is uh, a tremendous subject that absolutely i think needs to be broached a lot more from the household to to the community the classroom the locker room yeah um i've always and you know in my studies in my journey i've always tried to take a somewhat of a scientific approach to breaking things down um as much as i could because yes. um growing up with an athletic buying state you you know it losses can be very burdensome. Absolutely. Um, and not because you just lost, but because you you if you if you intellectualize the game at all, which which I began doing at a very early age. Yes. Um, you you kind of drench yourself in the what happened. Absolutely. You know, and and then there's a bit of a fascination for me that began to emerge, and once you identify where things went wrong, then it's, okay, I need to go in that rabbit hole and see what that's about. And I've always done that with whether I was, you know, studying film or I was, um, you know, venturing into a new space in business um, or art, you know, certainly in business, I've gone down what seems like a hundred different rabbit holes of laws, legalities, privileges, opportunities um, that can shape out a myriad of ways uh, but I think the, the the biggest thing that I've always found with fear is that initially it, it's a righteous instinct. It's something that is a part of your intelligence package that uh, through your senses, um, if you would, you know, you're supposed to be able to identify yes. danger, no doubt. Um, assess risk. Right. Yes. And look at the things that you can or cannot do. But I think, you know, without passion, you just get stuck there in that reality of, OK, I shouldn't jump. Right. But passion is the kind of fuel that's like, 
nah, baby, we're going <laughs> to... Now we're going to jump this thing. That's you know right. What I'm saying? And we're going to jump it again and jump it again and jump it again. That's right. Whereas when you don't have that passion throttle, um, if that valve is low, I tell my daughter all the time, you know, yeah. you got you to be careful with, with the self because there's vulnerabilities and we have these little, you know, magical valves in us. Yes. And these valves have a, a, a kind of a juice, if you would, an energy, um, a, a gasoline and... When we don't know how to go plug back in, you know, uh, to where love can be reciprocated, right. but we're constantly giving it out. Yes. Or we don't know how passion gets reciprocated, but we're constantly giving it out, right? Then um, we can come to a point of dehydration. Absolutely. Um, and that's where, you know, you can start to make a lot of mistakes. Absolutely. Because uh, you may very well have the equipment to take a risk or, or to do the jumping, um, but you don't got the fuel Absolutely. to sustain, uh, you know, how to get there. So how do you deal um, with, you know, breaking down fear from that standpoint versus when one may have the passion, but it just ain't working for them? You know, when, when somebody keeps bumping up against an obstacle that's more passionate towards taking them down than that person is passionate towards getting over it. Yes. Um, how do you reconcile that? What, what, what are some of the solutions you think? Well, I think one of the solutions, man, is really taking an internal perspective of self uh, to be able to identify, hey, what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses? And then ultimately you have to take whatever that weakness is and you got to tweak it. Hmm. Every car doesn't run efficient. Every every car at some point will require a tune up. Right. And life will require, require us at times to be able to just go get a tune up. It's right. not that your car is bad. It just needs a tune up. Yep. So life will call upon us, man, at times to just go get a tune up. Hmm. Uh, it ain't going to cost you much, but it's going to run more effectively. And this is what we do in business. This is what we do in different spaces. Sometimes we just got to take a minute and just let the mechanic do what he does. Right. And let us go back and do what we do. Um, the second thing is I believe that cars are unbalanced. Uh, and oftentimes when they become unbalanced, they're, they won't stay on the road as we want them to be because there's an imbalance. Mm. And so if you take it to the shop, they do what's called, they balance that out, mm -hmm. right? Uh, life will cause us to do the exact same thing. And once again, until we take it to somebody who's efficient in that area to fix that, we'll always be on the road going sideways. Mm. Uh, but life, demands that we go a straight and narrow road in order for success. The question is, is whether or not you can identify that the car that you drive, is it swinging? Is it pulling? Have you ever drove a car where it just starts pulling to the right or to yeah, the left? Yeah. Because it's unbalanced. And right. it's telling you, it's giving you the indicator right. that something's off balance. Right. Well, this is what happens in the level of success. Hmm. Um, Shine Eye Man, this is my dude. We've had several conversations. And I asked him one day, and I said this, I said, man, how were you able to play sports at such a high level in the situation that you grew up in? Hmm. In my mind, it was reminiscent of the question that you just asked me. Hmm. How do you stay on the narrow when things are going sideways? Mm. You know, to, to be 100% um, vulnerably transparent. Mm. A lot of it for me was was something that was operating in me that I had no I had no idea wow. 
what it was. Okay. It, it was it was a massive, uh, exhaustive energy wow. to, to win. Yes. And maybe even to some degree being a uh, an inviter to obstacle. Okay. Like I, you know, I was raised in a way that for me, um, fighting, um, dealing with things, confrontation, um, we didn't have gates on our mouths growing up, at least not that I saw. Yes. You know, I grew up in an environment where, man, you, you know, you got to get yours. That's right. That's right. You got all these cousins. You got all these brothers. You got, you know, you got to get yours, man. And, and you don't got no time to really punk out for nothing. And so you're already in this, you know, constant state of internal competition, even though it's not said as that. Sure. It's just kind of the nature of the environment, which I think is typically the case if you grow up around anything black and male. Yes, dominant, absolutely. Right. Um, taking nothing away from the female aspect because that has its own uh, contributions to that as well. But certainly on the male side, you know, you have this, um, you know, only the strong survive. Absolutely. You know, kind of situation. So for me in the household I grew up in, now mind you, um, you know, I'm growing up out here on uh, in, in the West Coast, but the family's all from back East. My, my mom's people from Kentucky, Chicago, my dad's people from Washington, D.C., um, you know, so the household is uh, is basically inner city East Coast. Okay. Okay. That, that's the that's the mentality you're dealing with. Yes. When you want to get into the dynamics of um, the nature of the environment and whatever capacity would be there for for any kind of nurturing. Um, I had a mom that was a that was a workhorse. She was a career girl. Uh, Pops was a worker too, but Pops was no joke. Pops was a beast. Yes. And Pops had a uh, had a mandate in a way that he dealt with us um, that, you know, today wouldn't translate. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and for what it's worth, and I, I, you know, it'd be great if I had some of my other brothers here because they, they, we all got different takes. Yeah. On what that was. But for me, as the middle child. Yes. You know, I'm an Aries. I'm cosmically aligned for let's go get it. Yeah. You know, where's the trouble at? Right. I'll right. figure it out. <laughs> right. You know, what's trouble to you is not trouble for me. Yeah. I'll go get I'll go get in that mix. That's what I'm aligned to do. Um, and then there's, you know, was you know, a myriad of responsibilities that came with it. And so once things started shifting and I started um feeling like I had to look out for myself in my life at a very young age and yes. making adult decisions, um, including, you know, transferring schools. And, you know, when you are a um, uh, an athletic star, student athlete, yeah. that is, you know, a, a blue chip recruit, um, there's a lot of things that come with that. Absolutely. And when you're that guy in multiple sports, yes. there's even more, you know, things that come with it. So um, that was a very difficult, thing to be but I didn't know that right when I was going through it yeah you know what I'm saying right so I, it's kind of like I'm saying all that to say like I was it's all I knew right all I knew was right the high-end competitive um all the stakes are here 
right? Uh, uh, constant excitement. Yes. Man, my pops didn't turn the radio off, man. Like, right. you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. I might have been, shit, man, third, fourth grade that I can, like, recall all right, man, ain't no music on. I'm going to sleep. Right, right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, my man's, right. my man's put the party down every night. Yes, right. Right? Um, and, and, and a lot of that influence was the 60s and 70s and 80s soul music. Yes. And so you think about them funk bands from Clinton to the Barquets and Confunction and um, all the way to the smooth stuff of Motown to the... Man, every, black culture is... A beautiful party. Yes, yes. That's why can't nobody gather like we do when we gather. That's right. That's right. Because the energy and the emotion and the passion that comes with us. Yes. Is it's gonna be at a it's gonna be at another level. That's right. And so I didn't know no other realm, man. I didn't know you know my everything. I thought life was high end. Shit didn't calm down for me till I got in a classroom. Right. You know, and at that point, you're fighting to just stay awake and survive. And yeah, um, but I knew I wanted a life. I knew I wanted to get somewhere. Um, I knew that uh, I could. I loved my sports. Right. Uh, but I had no idea, man, how how uh, uh, you know non taken care of um, I was to be operating me and many others for that matter yeah to be operating at the levels we operate you think about the average young black kid and you ask yourself the question is he getting a solid breakfast and a solid lunch yes is he or she getting a solid breakfast solid you're getting the multivitamin right like man what i had my first vitamin like multivitamin man like after college that's right that's right that's right <laughs> man i've already ripped up knees that's and, right you know right. what i'm saying like right. you know, so you start thinking about basic things yes that you know you might see in other households i certainly saw it with other friends that i was around um that just you know little things like that drinking water you know ha- you know having juice um uh just n- nutrition not to say that you're eating well and we don't have the feast that we have we do but you're not conscientious that you're at that dehydrated point you don't know your car is veering off to the right that's if good. You, you just drive it. That's right. And that's all you know is this, man, this thing veers. As far as I'm concerned, this is straight. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Until you realize, no, this shit ain't straight, man. Right. You know what I'm saying? You had a, you you didn't you didn't drove all the way off the freeway. <laughs> you know what I mean? So right. um that's a very difficult thing to come to find out until you figure that out. Right. And then the levels. Well, shit, now I'm mad as hell. It's easy for me to get mad. Yeah. But, uh, you know, without no outlet, you know, thank God I had some guys come in from the martial arts space. And uh, one of the gifts my dad gave us boys was introducing us to boxing and stuff like that. You got some conventional outlets. Yeah. And he would always tell us, you know, you know, you know, one of my number one jobs is make sure y'all didn't get raised in the city. Right. And I can look at it now and be like, man, I thank you. Right. Because we would have been all the way right off the Richter. Right. We just wired. Right to be athletic and be involved and you know we took it very very serious right right so you give us a bunch of nothing to do out in the street yeah hey man it's gonna be that same seriousness right even when i talk to kids at school i tell them all the time like man y'all better be glad you teachers better be glad some of these cats is in sports right yeah you know what i'm saying exactly you don't want them yeah you don't want them on that roam around that's right all that energy has got to go somewhere that's right it's got to go somewhere so you don't kind of really know why all that is. You yeah. just know that you're packing 
um, the energy to do it. Right. Um, and that leads to a lot of mistakes and a lot of different things. Um, so fortunately, there's some stuff there that balances it out, which kind of brings me to where I, I, I want to lean back into you with that um, is, you know, the role of a pastor yeah. or the the construct of the church in the community. Yeah. Um, when when you see the culture uh, having so much going on in society mm-hmm. um, and it just feels like to me there's not a lot of conversation around you know where's the church and all this and where's right. where's what, what's going on man with all the political hoopla and all the stuff happening in the world it seems like um there's something there mm-hmm. that's either not engaged or, or or missing and i may very well be wrong um but but first take me into what called you you know what was that moment for you to move into pastoring and then how are you utilizing that in a time like like now well uh first let me say you know uh being called to ministry was uh, at a very young age for me uh i knew between the ages of probably nine to ten uh that there was a strong manifestation in my spirit uh i had a profound love for church i had a profound love for dr martin luther king jr uh, who was a highly influential in my life uh, for civil rights. Um, and then um, I had a strong discernment uh, when it came to spiritual things. And so it, it, I wanted to be normal, but was trying to find myself in the process of, um, I had this profound gift and knew that I had the gift but wanted to be normal in the process. I wanted to do what all the other kids were were doing. And so I had this internal struggle going on. And um, so uh, we were very poor. And uh, I remember one night we went to the uh, the Goodwill. So, you know, we didn't typically just go shopping or anything like that. When everybody else would be asleep, uh, we go to the Goodwill, which was at that time outside. <laughs> so you just pulled up and everybody got out and you just went through and you grabbed whatever you wanted. And I had to be probably nine years old at the time. And I found this tape recorder and it had two reels on it. It was white and they had a microphone and uh, you couldn't tell me nothing. That was a Mercedes to me. Okay, you talk know? to me, man. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know how to operate it, but I learned how to operate it. And it actually worked and functioned properly. And so late at night, man, when everybody would go to sleep in the house, I would get up and I would practice my sermons. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I would be preaching and whatnot. And nobody knew at the time, you know, that I had this internal uh, conflict between this gift that's in me and I'm trying to get it out. So the only way I knew how to get it out is actually just do it. Right. Well, wow. and so um my mama got up, I guess, at two or three o'clock one morning. She hears all this commotion going on because by this time I'm in my third gear. You know? Yeah, yeah. You down there cutting up. Yeah, yeah. I, done, I done already got down into <laughs> it, man. And so uh, my mom walks in and she said, boy, what you doing in here? You know, and uh, my, my pulpit <laughs> was back in those days. We didn't have uh, electric vacuums. 
So I used the push vacuum that you had to open up on the bottom. We all had one of those. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. And and so that served as my podium. So what okay. I did is I took the mic and I took some duct tape around it. And that was my podium. And my reel was going and uh, I had a made up um, congregation and they just kept pushing me to preach. I said, Mama, it ain't my fault. Just, right. You know, right. And, right, uh, right. They, they asking me to do you, it. You, you understand. <laughs> And uh, she said, boy, what is you talking about? <laughs> and literally, man, what the Most High was saying to me at the age of nine years old, that this will not be something unknown to you, hmm. that you'll preach in front of thousands, you'll speak to many, many people, you'll prophesy to many people. Um, and to bring that closer to where we're at, uh, 2000 and uh, probably, I think it was around 96, Hmm. Uh, I was going to the hospital and there was a young lady that I met at the time and her mother had an aneurysm. She was actually a pastor hmm. and I went, got into the elevator and there was a gentleman that was standing in the elevator. He says, young man, can I speak to you? I was 24 at the time. Hmm. And I said, sure. He says, um, he began to prophesy to me and he began to share my ministry. Now, mind you, at this particular time in life, I'm selling drugs. I'm doing all kind of stuff because I'm trying to avoid the very thing that I've been called to do. Mm. Because in my mind, subconsciously, I was saying that, well, if I do so much wrong, maybe he'll decide that I'm not worthy. Right. And that would have been my out, you know? Right. Uh, would you say that was because now, just kind of kind of circling back to the first part of our conversation, were you, clearly it was your purpose to step into that. No doubt about right? it. Would you say that um, you had opposing passions that were moving you another way, or was it just altogether fear of the responsibility? I just wanted to be normal. Mm. I just, I just wanted to be normal. I, I wanted to be able to cut up and act up like all the other kids right. without any remorse. But because I had this strong conviction, it wouldn't allow me to just accept it. And so, even though now this is crazy. Even though I'm out, had lost my job when I was about 24 years old, not lost it. We, we got laid off. And my daughter, who's now be 30 next month, um, uh, was with me. So I'm raising at, at 24 years old, a baby that's six year or six months old. Hmm. Um, and all I knew is I got to protect my child. I got to provide for my child. Uh, made some poor decisions in terms of trying to survive and, and uh chose to sell drugs at that time in my life. And, um, and in doing so, um, while I was yet selling drugs and while I was doing that, the most high was still using me. And so there was a woman who lay next door to me and she tells my lady friend at the time, she says, well, man, who is that doing all that preaching next door? <laughs> and she says, well, I don't know what you're talking about. She says, no, 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 no. I'm telling you, I, I don't know who that is, but that cat can preach. Hmm. And um, she says, no, ain't nobody's there. Just me and Tremaine, <laughs> you know? Right. And um, she says, girl, I'm telling you, somebody over there preaching. Now, what was unique about it was that even though I had this internal thing spiritually going on inside of me, most of the people around me didn't know outside of my family, you know? Right. And so I'm still dealing with that, you know? And so it's still in me at a 24, 25 years old. And I get to a stage, man, where uh, I make drops off and 
But uh, when my lady friend wasn't present, man, I go grab my Bible, you mm. know, and the most high would give me something to expound on and I go in, you know. And so it was it was almost like a survival mechanism. Right. It was that I think I feared not being able to survive without it. Mm. So it became the thing that I needed when times came difficult for me. Uh, because one thing that I learned is, uh, if I couldn't change it through my hands, I could change it through my gift hmm. and through my gift of speaking the word, uh, I was able to get it out. And then things began to shift in a different way. Mm. Man, that's heavy. Cause you know, you think about, you know, a lot of people move with that, that calling on their life. You know, that, that, that can happen in a, a multitude of ways. Absolutely. Uh, and at any given point in time in one's life. You Absolutely. Know, that can take place. It, it's not often you hear about, you know, God as uh, an outlet of sorts, a, uh, a, um, a place to uh, get away. I'm talking about from an interpersonal relationship. Because what you're describing right now is not, you know, man, you know, I'm in, I'm in church on Tuesday and Thursday. And it's not and, the it's not the pretty. Yeah, road. no, you, yeah, you, you in the trenches in life. Yes, leaning on this relationship and creating through the dynamics of your spirit the essence of a congregation and yes. you working out what you're saying and you speaking that word. Look, now that's hip hop. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's that's how rhymers come step into that rhyme thing. That's like turning on a beat and acting like you got the crowd. That's those are the first crowds we was in front. Wasn't nobody there. That's you right. You know what I'm saying? But it's just that's how you move with it. You know what I'm saying? But you don't hear that too often when it comes to, you know, a relationship with the most high. Yeah. See what it is is there's a profound text that says, um, um when it deals with, when it deals with the the transition between the natural and the spirit, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and and it's and it's a real fine dynamic because one would probably ask, well, how is it possible that you can harm people because you're selling drugs, but then at the same time you're telling me that he can still use you? Well, the word says he's a present help in the time of trouble. I was in a troubled place, right. but I found peace and safety in knowing that I could return back to him right. because there was nothing that I could do that he didn't already know about. Right. Because if he made me and created me in his own image, he is not far from knowing who I am. Right. So I always knew that I could run back to him hmm. and coming back to him was me saying, as David said, Lord created me a clean heart. Yes. Renew within me the right spirit. Yes because I'm wrestling. Right. And, and he understood where I was with that, mm -hmm. but he gave me enough time to say, but I still love you. Right. But you still going to preach though. Yeah. 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 You still going to do that. Yeah. You dancing out here, but I'm protecting you while you're doing it. Right. So I understood that, man, the reason I was able to survive that, uh, that time in my life was because the most high had something for me to do. Man, that's deep. That's deep. So what was your first moment of preaching? Um, with, you know, describe to me, now you on, now you in it, now it's time to get in front of a real congregation. What, what was that for you? 
it was normal. Yeah. I had You'd already uh, put the work in. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing it since I was nine years old. Right. So, <laughs> um, you know, uh, you prepare like any other yeah. moment, you know. Yeah. And I remember there were several pastors in the area. The church was packed. And um, and some of the preachers said around me, they said, man, Palms, how come you're not nervous? Not knowing that I've been doing this all my life. You know right. what I'm saying? Um, and it was a very, um, it was like a weight lifted off me. Hmm. For the first time in my life, I felt like, man, I could rest now. Yeah. I no longer had to have a nine in my back pocket. I no longer had yeah. to worry about somebody trying to rob me. I no longer had to worry about who's coming for me. And you got to remember, man, at 22, 23 years old, I'm driving BMWs, I'm driving Mercedes, I'm driving, I got three or four different cars. I drive whenever I felt like it, mm -hmm. you know. But I want to say this, man, I, there was a, um, a state patrol that pulled me over one day who had a profound effect on my life. And he said to me one day, he said, um, I want you to get out of the car. I just bought a brand new white Cadillac Barretts. And I'm probably 24 years old at the time. And uh, uh, all white leather interior was white. Go ahead, I'm man. I'm feeling good about Go it, ahead, you man. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And uh, he pulls me over. I'm driving without a license, you okay. know. And he says to me, uh, I want to search you. He searches me. And I had residue of crack cocaine in my bomber jacket like you're wearing right now. Wow. And uh, I ain't got no residue. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know what he got, y'all. <laughs> but ain't, uh, no, ain't nothing but a little glare finish with me, baby. <laughs> and, uh, and the beautiful thing was, man, um, I was arrested, not for narcotics, but I was arrested because I had an outstanding tickets at the time, which actually was a, um, you know, a, a real shift in my life at the time, what I didn't know. And during the time that I was uh, incarcerated, uh, the feds were looking for me. Uh, in fact, they had already been at my house. So I didn't know that until I got out. And so when I got out, I started getting phone calls and whatnot, informing me that, hey, they didn't been in your spot, you know. Um, and a few weeks prior to that, it was interesting because I had gone into the post office and there was a gentleman who came into the post office and he said T Money, which was my street name. So uh, I had people that worked for me, whatever. And, and uh, so nobody really knew what I did or anything like that because I looked just like you, you know. Uh, but behind the scenes, I was moving stuff, you know. And this white guy comes in uh, and says to me, uh, T Money, I want to talk to you. And I had never seen the dude before. And so um, I knew right then something wasn't right. And from that moment on, I was always very uh, cautioned about my moves and so forth and so on. Because in that moment, uh, one of the things I taught about the game is never allow people to infiltrate your business. Right. So this dude was able to know what I did. So now I'm having to check people in my in my system, man. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm learning things uh, that I didn't want to find out, um, found out who who was talking, you know, mm -hmm. and um, ultimately I got a call the night that I was released uh, from jail. And that night the feds were sitting outside of my house and it tried to make buys from me. Uh, but the most high wouldn't let it go through, mm. uh, gave me enough discernment. It didn't feel right. 
didn't feel right. I remember calling a lady friend that I was dating at the time. I said, hey, I need you to do me a favor because my oldest daughter lived with me, you know. Um, and so I didn't want her around at the time. And I said, listen, um, would you do me a favor and just, you know, take my daughter for a day? I just need to handle some business. She didn't know what I did. So um, the next morning I grab my nine, I go down and check my mail because I've been locked up for a week. Mm. And uh, I opened up the mailbox. And when I opened up the mailbox, the same cat that was at the post office that said, T-Money, I want to holler at you. He was a detective. He was an informant and they were waiting for me. Mm. So by the time I reached to grab my nine, it was about nine of them and they said, don't do it. So um, from that moment, man, um, and this is crazy uh, because, you know, I had attorneys and stuff like that. And I called my attorneys. I said, hey, now they didn't arrest me, which was ironic. Uh, because most of the stuff that I carried never was in my possession. It was never in my house. Uh, but I had money and I had jewelry and I had things. And so they confiscated a lot of that. Uh, at the time, I had two of my vehicles that were out. Most of them were in my storage, but uh, they took my Barrettes. They took my BMW. And uh, and you got to remember, I'm 24 years old. So wow. I'm hard headed at the time. Right. And my attorney says to me, he looked at me, he said, Palms, um, let it go. And then here comes the stubborn part of me. I'm not letting nothing go. I just bought that car. Right. And what I didn't know at the time, what he was trying to tell me is that, man, listen, they got you. They they, they know where you, they know what you're right. driving. You're, right. you're harming yourself. You know, right. I told my mama, I said, listen, I want you to go up there. I want you to go get my car. <laughs> you couldn't let it go. I couldn't let it go. And so my mama goes and. She's now, she's now, now, mind you, in, in, in the midst of this, you, you, you fighting this call. Absolutely. Tooth and I nail. I want to do it. You holding on for dear life oh, for this, for this I, world. I'm hoping I'm doing enough damage that he to just, just say, he you just wrong. Say, go, yeah. yeah, I, I made the mistake in choosing you. Right. You know, but I can tell you, man, through all of that, man, the most high graced me with the ability to still be able to stand in somebody's pulpit. Wow. Wow. You know, so, so do you can you recall the first church and the first, uh, you know, the first sermon? Absolutely. Uh, Tabernacle Missionary Baptist Church, 1996. Uh, Dr. Robert L. Manaway, the most prolific and most profound pastor I know uh, that invested in me, loved me, taught me. Uh, but not only was a pastor, was a friend. So uh, he was able to. Uh, give me enough leeway hmm. uh, to make mistakes. Yeah. You know, um, how, how, how important is that? You know, when you think about that dynamic there where you got you got young kids, be it boys or girls, um, you got the streets. Yes. You got life, you got community, you got disenfranchisement within the household, you got conflict going on. You got daddies that's in jail, daddies that's doing what you're doing. Yeah. Or daddies that's busy in other uh, other things. Absolutely. Um, or mamas that are busy in other things or at school or in jail or out doing whatever. And to each child is a different uh, circumstance. Absolutely. In the household. But sometimes the idea of religious culture comes with it, this tag of having to be perfect and really not religious culture 
our society absolutely has a serious problem with perfection and absolutely um, uh, being incapable of understanding the the value of mistake making absolutely right and so what you know why isn't there an empathetic brand if you would that's good I like from that. the church to the street that says we love you like he does it's interesting and i think it's a very profound question um mainly because i think when those of us who come into the knowledge and then the understanding of christ for whatever reason we believe that's perfection hmm. so we unite perfection to mean if i'm with him now then there's no sin in me hmm. but the word doesn't support it um, even in, even in my calling, you have never heard me say during the course of my going in and going out that I've ever been perfect. Right. I've shared with you the struggle I've shared right. with you. I'm still doing it while knowing that I'm called, right. but still knowing that there's a hedge of protection around me. Sure. You know, um, and that it's possible, man, to get up in a pulpit and preach like you never have before and watch souls literally come uh, to Christ and say, Lord, I'm here, you know, I'm yours. Even in your stupidity, even in your wrong choice making, mm -hmm. because he knows how to take the worst in you mm -hmm. and use it for his good. Hmm. He's the only person that I know that can take something bad and make good, mm. you know? Um, so when we think about it, um, and I won't even say it's bad. I will say it's just who we are at the time. Right. We, we are we are people, man, who make bad choices and make bad mistakes. So when you do that, if you're dealing with somebody who's very judgmental, if you come from that era, then it's going to be hard. Right. And you're going to be probably more harder on yourself than you need to be. Right. And I think that's where a lot of that comes, you know, beating yourself up and, you know, making yourself feel that you're not worthy. No, I'm worthy because he made me worthy. Right. I am because he is. Right. And had it not been for the grace of God, I wouldn't be here today. Mm -hmm. So I'm here to say, man, that he can use anybody regardless of what you've done and regardless, even in the state that you're in currently. But. He's drawing you nearer to him in that process. Absolutely. And sometimes in that process, it may not be as expedient as some people want it to be. Um, and some people may say, well, man, is it possible that Chai can do hip hop and soul and, and, and R&B and rap and, and still be spiritual? And I'm here to tell y'all, man, this is one of the most spiritual dudes that I know. <laughs> this dude is very profound in the word, knows his word. Uh, and very spiritual. And this is why, man, we've connected for so long. Uh, your energy, your insight, your knowledge as it relates to the word. Uh, but I've got this gift, though, to do music. You know what I mean? So what do I do with that? Right. I don't stop doing music because right. he gifted me to do that. So right. we've had this conversation many, many days. And I, and I asked the question, you know, with Shia, do you feel sometimes like, man, you kind of coming to and fro? I mean, how do you how do you navigate through that? Mm, yeah, you know it's it's a juggling act. Yeah, it's 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 an, it's a juggling act because I think if I think if you are righteous unto yourself, okay, and I don't mean that in a in a egotistical, uh, unmerited way. 
I mean, if you are truly beholden to, and, and, and if you have quantified and qualified the gifts and talents and skills beyond your own expertise, but you've qualified them by those that, you know, that's what they do. In other words, I, I call it the, you know, uh, the credit check of your profession. You know? Right. You, you, you measure out amongst the constituency. Right. If we play hoop, we get amongst the hoopers and the that's hoopers right. say, yeah, man, you know, cat had game, you know, he, that's you know, right. He was nice with the left and had a nice little jump shot and blah, blah, blah. And you, you use that, uh, that energy and that insight for your justification. Now that's not void of what God's calling you to do. There you go. It just is a, uh, personification of the urge and the instinct and, and what's compelling you to move in the gift. So I think you have to be righteous unto yourself. And if you are, then you also have to know people are people. Yes. And so like, you know, I've seen it a thousand different ways, man. You know, um, over the last few years, I, I got into, um, you know, creating a, a business for the film industry. Yes. And I come from a lot of years of music and a lot of years of outreach and event development and brands and yes. I've worked with all kinds of stuff. You yeah. Know? Uh, you know, amazing brands. Uh, and, and I've had some great, great experiences, but none of them perfect. Yeah. You know, you're coming into film and it's like, okay, um, I had to go to my folks that, hey, man, this is how you do it. And here's what I always got. Shy, unlike making a song, you know, a film is different. Right. You, it just takes time. Yes. You know, guys like George Lucas, it, it has had films that took George Lucas, the creator of Star Wars. Yes. 10, 15, 20, 25 years to get a film made. Yeah. Right? Like... That's heavy, it but is. that's the standard. If right. you're in film and you know the landscape, it's like, yeah, sometimes it can just happen. Right. And then other times, man, it, it, it could take some time. That's right. And so there's a, there's a grace period you have to allot yourself. Right. And others. Okay. Um, and so that's very difficult to do because wow. you can't always manage what your impact or your effect is going to be. Um, on other people. But I think when you're juggling those gifts, um, you do have a responsibility to know that, okay, well, everybody ain't going to get this. That's right. And some people are going to get it on Tuesday and not get it next Tuesday. That's right. Even though they got it on Tuesday. That's right. That's um, right. They no longer get it next Tuesday. And you got to know that kind of right. going in that, you know, um, that's going to be bound to happen when, when you're, when you're dealing with that. But ultimately what keeps you, um, you know, I want to say honest, but I want to be clear contextually because I believe there's a difference between truth and honesty. Absolutely. But to be honest unto what the expectation you think is from God unto yourself um, is, uh, I think, is a matter of, you know, perspective. No and, doubt. and I think you got to like the other things. You got to find the constituency to say, um, who else has been called to deal with this gift? And for me, that led me on a journey, a very vast one, mind you, um, that gave me methodologies that I've been able to apply 
in every aspect uh, of my life. Right. And so now that allows me, you know, honesty, I think allows you, honesty is the gateway to truth. Right. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Because if you can handle the one, you can, you, you know, you got no other choice but to get to the, that's right. You know, to the other. It's that's just right. that truth is brutal. That's right. You know, yes. honesty can have some feel and some tone and some, right. Hey man, well, look, I'm going to lay it to you like this. That's but right. Truth don't give a damn. That's truth right. Truth come blow the whole damn, that's you know, right. it's yeah. the wind, baby. You can't yeah. control that. That's right. Know? Uh, but when you are a gardener, you can talk about how the wind was moving and yeah, right. it was a little rough and <laughs> right. blew a little bit of this over and that over, but we're going to be all right. Yeah. And yeah. that's honest, you know, right. and that's okay. Yeah. You know, and so I think you have that dynamic with those of us that are called to do things uh, when we are obligated to give that to society somehow, we got to know that realm between, you know, that, that honesty and that truth gauge, that's the juggle. It's not really in our gifts and talents and skills. Yeah. You know what it is, man. Yeah. When when you when when you playing hoop, yeah, and you were senior in high school, yeah, and some little kid that's in seventh grade, oh palms, man, you know, let's play some twenty one. You say, okay, cool, right? And you give them an honest game, right? And you kind of playing with them a little bit, right? But you ain't nowhere near your truth. No. Now, if you went full fledged on cat. Right. You know, you might break his spirit to the point that he will never pick a ball up again. Right. And or that's the sensitivity part that, that you have to be aware of. Absolutely. You have yeah, to be you don't, aware. I think the game that, that we're afforded to play in, in our era is that um, what, what did you give back to the game? You yes. know what I mean? So, yes. Uh, and I think it's profound, man. Every time I hear it, including tonight, when you talk about, uh, you know, being able to play at, at the at the height um and at the level that you played at with all that was going on, you know, mm-hmm. um, to be able to focus, to be able to bring it, even though, hey, I don't know when I'm going to eat tomorrow. I, I don't know how I'm going to get to school. Um, and to manage that, you know, is uh, is something I'm in awe of simply because how do you how do you muster up the the confidence in, in, in a two-hour time frame because a game will probably take you two, two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's almost like you got to take off the regular clothes and put on the cape for a minute, oh, if yeah. you will. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, and I remember playing, uh, you know, and my father was never there, never ever seen me play. And um, and going to games was so natural because he was never there. So it was, it was very normal for me to play. Um, I think the first time my mama came and seen me play, I was in high school at this time. I was one of the top guards in the state. Um, uh, had uh, been player of the week. Uh, I think it was my junior, senior year, seven weeks in a row. Uh, just got off to a phenomenal start. You know, uh, I moved from Louisiana and um, wanted to play football and uh, come to find out that uh, I had to sit out 10 games and that this was my junior year. So I was like, wow. You know, um, and and football was my best sport. And so I had to make a decision, you know, and my decision was, hey, I either run the risk of playing the last two games of potentially losing my whole basketball, uh, although football was my best sport. And so I ended up uh, just sticking to basketball at that point. So Hmm. um, and making the best out of it, you know, Uh, but but football being my passion. It was the thing that came very easy to me. Basketball, it took work. Yeah. I was only five, seven. I haven't grown since the sixth grade. So I really had to put a lot of time and energy into it. Mm. But 
when I got under that center, man, it was like I woke up, you know, just it was just so natural. You know, I could yeah. sling it 50 yards on a rope. I could I go left and right. And, you know, so I just love to play. You know, I just love to play football. So uh, but that's how, I, you know, started playing basketball, man. I got here and um, my senior year, man, we're rolling. We're about eight and no, nine and no. We play a school out of Kent, Washington, uh, Kent Ridge High School. Mm-hmm. And I'm going up against the premier guard in the state uh, who I met in the summer, uh, my sixth or seventh grade year, a uh, brother by the name of Anthony Williams, uh, one of the best basketball players I've ever played against in mm. my life. And uh, uh, and Anthony talked a lot, so he motivated me a lot. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll never forget, <laughs> I, I came back to Seattle and Anthony told me, man, I went to a football game and he said, man, I'm going to score 50 on you. And I said, this boy done lost his mind. <laughs> you think you're going to do me like that? Right. They were ranked number one in the state. My junior year, they were ranked number one in the state. They were undefeated. We were undefeated. We're not even ranked in the state. Um, and I'm guarding Anthony. And uh, the game was tied with a minute and 20 to go. And uh, they opened up the floor. And they let Anthony do his thing. Anthony was a senior at the time. Anthony was about 5'11", but he was long, you know. Um, quick first step. He could shoot from the outside. He had the whole package. Mm-hmm. And I wanted the challenge because all I heard in my head was, oh, I'm going to score 50 on you. Right. Well, he didn't score 50 that night. He scored about 35 on me, but they <laughs> won the game. Right. Um, and what I remember, man, was the last three possessions, they cleared it out. And they let Anthony go one-on-one. And in that moment, Anthony would shake. He would make his move. And typically, I was always quicker than the guards. So my objective was to never block the shot. I always went for the ball before he elevated. Mm -hmm. But Anthony was so long, it was hard for me to get the... Mm -hmm. I had to give him enough space because he was, you know, he was quick too, Mm -hmm. you know. And, uh, man, he's about six feet behind the three and he's just hitting nothing but the bottoms yeah and so i'm just ain't a whole lot i could do with that right you know what i'm saying right so um my revenge came when we went to their gym they're number one in the state we go back to kent ridge they're still undefeated ranked number one in the state and we beat them by 29 points in their gym wow and uh, one of the most incredible things that have ever happened. It was crazy, man. The, the the students from Kent Ridge was rocking the bus. They followed us back over the. I mean, they had to call the police. They was man. It was yeah. crazy, man. It was. But it's it's one of the the one of the most amazing games uh, that I've played in at home. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't my best game. Obviously, right. we didn't win, but. Uh, being able to play against one of the top guards in the state who later went on to play for Rick Majerus at Utah. Yeah. Uh, drafted by the, the Lakers, you know. Yeah. Um, phenomenal. Just anytime you get a chance to play against a Cheyenne Salah and, uh, you know, some of these players, man, that, that could have played D1, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so uh, those, are, those are great moments for me to be able to have that opportunity. Man, it's, I love hearing that, man, because one of the things we wanted to make sure we always um, highlighted in the show was real cats doing real things. And one of the things about Northwest culture 
is uh, what, what a lot of the world doesn't really realize is sports is heavy. Yes. Here, you yes. know, and each one of them, man, whether you, you know, you can go across the scale, man, you know, football, basketball, baseball is heavy. Soccer is heavy. Track is heavy. Um, you know, swimming is heavy. Absolutely. Soccer is heavy. Golf is heavy. Yes. You know, it's, it's, it's very deep culture here for that. And so I think that's going to resonate um, a lot with cats from the era. And then we got this, you know, the lost tribe of, of, of excellence, which is, which is those of us brothers that created the culture with respect to the branding for us. Yes. Because, you know, being scholarship and going to the next level um, was that was the golden nugget Absolutely. out here because we didn't have a lot of, um, you know, history of, you know, cats in the NBA or the NFL or whatever that started to happen. And we had pro teams here. Um, but a lot of us were isolated from the access to that. Absolutely. Whereas a lot of white kids from more privileged schools, um, you know, it was nothing for them to go to a Seahawk game or right. a Mariner game or a Sonics game uh, and, you know, kind of do their thing like that, you know. Yeah. And then I, you know, we we some of the best players in, in the history of the state had never been to a Seahawk game or, That's right. or a Sonic game and, and, and things of that nature. And so... Uh, for us to to consider going to the next level was, you know, that was the the yellow brick road, man. Uh, that was the dream, you know. You know, and, and everybody was in on that. That's and right. So you got this collision course of of particularly those of us in King and Pierce County um, that's coming from black households and black black neighborhoods of any sort where we all are, yeah, you know, moving like this. Uh, to that one piece of pie. That's right. Um, very few people knew that we were out here, so you didn't have a lot of the major colleges coming to check for us. Or if they were, it was kind of like, yeah, if my man in Texas don't pan out and my dude in L.A. don't pan out. Correct. And, and, and the young fella in Illinois don't get right, I might go grab this kid in Washington. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it was yes. kind of like our neck of the woods was was treated like that for the longest time. Yeah. And then even our own institutions was going to the L.A.'s and the, the the Houston's and the Atlanta's of the world to go grab talent and bring them up here. Uh, and in some cases, that's how a lot of black families got up here. That's right. Uh, in, in, in the 70s and 80s. But I find that very interesting because I think we have a very unique story uh, in the culture out here. And you certainly uh, were one of the prolific um, all-star players that that put it down. And then the other part of it that people don't really realize, and I share this a lot with a lot of our brothers and sisters, um, you know, when it comes to the evolution of the culture, is that, you know, I came up around white folks. Yes. And Asian folks and people of, of other cultures and ethnicities. Um, you know, when you in kindergarten and first grade and second grade and third grade and fourth grade and fifth grade and you're surrounded in their environment. Yes. Um, and their customs and their ways and uh, the whole nine. And you got to understand that. Yes. And you got to make a way with that. Right. Um, whereas now you see a lot of the national and regional talk kind of surfaces around, you know, trying to change some of those dynamics. Yes. And I'm often curious and leaning on some of my bros that I know and some of my sisters that I know that I've actually had the experience um, because a lot of people are way making 
and really ain't been around them. Right. Really don't know a lot of these nuances until they get into the professional space with them right. in the job market. Yes. But I'm talking about coming up yes. the chain. And we was raised, my, my family, I was raised in such a way that it was like, man, as soon as you left the crib, no, they, you can't allow nobody to think they're better than you. That's right. Uh, no, you don't get, I don't give, I don't give a damn who you sit next to in the classroom. That's right. I don't care who the teacher is. I don't care who the principal is. I don't care who the coach is. You get your ass out there and you win. That's right. That's you right. You compete. Yes. You win. Yes. <laughs> you compete. Yes. There was a no excuse. That's right. Lane. Yeah. You get in the fight, you better not try to walk back up in this house. Right. Bloodied and beat down. That's right. You don't even consider coming back home. That's unless right. Unless you've conquered that. Right. That's how I was raised. That's right. Right. That's so, right. You think about, um, <laughs> you know, I can look at it now as an adult and I can be like, man, that's a bit, you know, right. I'm just on full tilt from the time I'm really I'm born. When you think about those kind of dynamics, you don't have no, um, you know, there's no allowance right. to be victimized by them. Absolutely. With the way I came up. Right. Um, there's no room to put them in as better than me when right. I walk into a classroom or I go into an opportunity where I get on the field or on the court. Yes. Um, and I'll be damned if I do. Right. Literally. Yes. Right. So that that makes for a, a strange and, and, and a bit of an indifferent um, experience. Uh, how did you navigate that terrain? Because I know you're you're an original Louisiana dude. Shout out to my Creole brothers and sisters. Yes. Because that's what it is in the culture. That's you right. You know what I'm saying? That's right. But you know, I know you coming from you coming from the bottom. Yes. And you migrate up this way. That is a complete <laughs> it, it was it was uh man, it was like night and day. Yeah. You know, and uh in fact I remember my junior year, uh, walking the hallways, getting acclimated with Lindbergh High School and and uh, was a brother about six four, six five at the time. I didn't know that uh, he played basketball. I was, you know, he just happened to be walking down the hallway holding a white girl's hand, and uh, <laughs> I'm leave, leave, losing, uh, leaving Louisiana, and I'm dating an Indian chick at the time, and um, and uh, and and I'm sent to the office and told to call my grandmother to come pick me up from school because I'm walking holding hands with somebody that don't look like me. Huh. And so uh, it's my junior year, man, and first day of school, and I see this brother holding hands. I say, man, hey, let me holler at you for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they let y'all do that? <laughs> and as a kid, man, you know, we're, we're built to, to try to think that we know that we're not supposed to do. Right. Your mama, your daddy told you, hey, don't do that. That's the very thing right. you did. Right. So that was my first experience, man, dating outside of my culture, really, you know, when I got to Washington, you know. So uh, here on one hand, you 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 in the loo and you get chastised. Yes. For dealing with somebody that's that's of, of another race. And then next thing you know, you up in, 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 in the northwest. I'm in the northwest. And man. you seeing cats left and right, man, just. And it blew my mind. I, I was like a little kid in the candy store. You mean to tell me we could do this? So it's the one thing, man, that in life, you know, the very thing that you tell the child not to do, that's what they're going to be eager to try. Because, yeah. you know, yeah. I was curious, yeah. you know. And so, um, you know, but with that, man, uh, you know, I met some I met some girls through that that really during the course of my uh, 
my junior and senior year that were really there for me in some profound ways and built some uh, long lasting relationships, you know, uh, able to open up to them about, man, what it's like to have to play and mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, being as far distance from one to the other. But I'll never forget, Shai, when I left Louisiana, I had a coach who was Creole and uh, his wife was uh, white and um, and he was pretty much white himself. Um, and he said to me one day, he said, uh, I want to teach you how to be a man. This was in basketball practice. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm going to teach you how to be a man. I already know you can play. I just want to teach you how to be a man. That resonated with me because I felt a duty and responsibility. Now, mind you, as I'm, as I'm coming out of middle school, I'm being recruited uh to two different high schools at the time Mm -hmm. for football and basketball. So everybody wanted to know, hey, where's where's Cricket Palms going? You know, for those who don't know, that's my nickname. Uh, So um, so this was huge. Like I get to to Sulphur High my my uh, freshman year and um, and I'm 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 behind two all state guards, you know, Uh, whereas if I went to the high school that all of my family went to, I'd have been starting my freshman year. So in retrospect, man, it was the it was the best thing that ever could have happened to me hmm. uh, because I had two cats that didn't let me be the best on the floor. Right. So I had to work. Uh, I was a second. Uh, I was a, uh, the second sophomore in the history of the school to ever start varsity my sophomore year. One hmm. of the other brothers that I played with when I got there, who was all state. So um yeah, man, I I didn't, you know, they were throwing me around. They was treat me like a stepchild. Yeah, you know, yeah. and uh, but they were getting me ready, you know, and so, um, and that's what you were able to see from from the from the later years is that. And coach always told me, he said, "Look, you just got to understand, it's their time. Your mm. time will come mm. if you just keep putting in the work." So, man, look, as a sophomore, I wasn't uh, the score that I was, uh, you know, uh, my junior and senior year. I did what it took to get on the court. Mm-hmm. You know, Palms, you're the quickest guard we got. You know, I want you to learn how to defend. So can you imagine my junior and senior year coming here, learning, and I'm playing 4A. There, right. Okay. Right. Uh, and I'm going to a 2A school. So this was like playing against sophomores and freshmen. Yeah. Me, you yeah. know, um, so. Uh, you know, different people would come back and say, yeah, our coach, man, they they mimic you in tapes and they, you know, we watched how you play defense. Defense is what actually got me on the court. It wasn't mm-hmm. my offense. Sure. Uh, but when time came, you know, coach unleashed me. Mm-hmm. I always had it in me, but, you know, they sort of catered to the junior and the seniors, you know, mm-hmm. your time would come. And so um, when those times came, I knew that uh, I, I could maximize those those opportunities. So, Wow. Quick switch gear, rapid fire. Who's your favorite quarterback all time? Oh, Jamel Holloway. Jamel Holloway. Jamel Holloway. Very com- hey, man, look. <laughs> Let me get through my rapid fire. We're going to cover. Most favorite running back all time? Jim Brown. Jim Brown. Jim Brown. Okay. I can dig it. Yeah. You don't hear that all the time. That's right. That's like saying who's, the, uh, who's probably one of the best heavyweights. I would say um, probably George Foreman. Okay. I could dig that. I could see that. Uh, best receiver all time? Ooh, uh, Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice. Yes. Okay. Linebacker? 
Mm, I'd probably go with. Um, oh, uh, Seau. Seau. I'll okay. probably go with Seau. Shout out to my Charger yeah, Bolt Nation, Yeah, I had to baby. give some to the home team. Yeah, yeah, you know? Bolt Nation, baby. That's right. You know, <laughs> Tomlinson and all them cats over there. <laughs> That's what's up. Give me your all-time NBA starting five. If you had, if you were commissioned right now to create a dream team and you had to pull your starting five of all time, give me a traditional lineup, point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center. Who you got? Magic's at the point. Magic Johnson at the point. Jordan's at the two. Jordan at the two. Uh, now I'm gonna bounce around for a minute because I always hold my third. Um, I always hold my small forward. Okay, so you want well, you want to go to your power or I'm your a, center? I'm gonna go to my center. Okay, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem is a center. Uh, I'm going with Tim Duncan at the four. At the four. Wow. Okay. And um, and at my three, uh, I'm gonna go with. Hmm. Um, I think I'm gonna go with Pippen, man. Think I'm going with Pippen. You gonna throw Pippen in your in your starting small forward all time? All time. Wow. Because okay, now give me now now yeah, break down to I, me. I have I have Magic who is undeniably unselfish. The ball's gonna leader. circulate. It you know. The ball's gonna circulate. But what Pippen gives me at the three is the unselfishness to go with magic. That length, you got defense. But, yeah, his defensive prowess. Um, I've seen Chicago down 20 at half, and I mean, numerous times, and they come back and win. Yeah. And it was all fueled with Scotty Pippen. Hmm. Mike even admitted that if it wasn't for Scotty, yeah. we wouldn't be talking about championships. Right. So that's how important Scotty is. Um, you know, most people think when you when you come with a starting five, everybody thinks offense. But when it comes to the three, I always say somebody's got to be able to lock down. Yeah. You know, that's you may true. not you may not be able to outscore everybody. That's true. So Mike can lock you down. Yeah. Uh, Scotty can lock you down. Yeah. You know, so I just think it makes for a uh, a wonderful dream team myself. Man, that, that that's powerful. My man said magic, Michael, Pip. Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan. And Abdul. Now, what's crazy is, <laughs> what's crazy is, most people are probably watching us right now saying, you mean to tell me he left Kobe Bryant off the squad? You left Kobe? You left Allen Iverson off the squad? You left LeBron? You left LeBron off the, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's well, what This is the, this is the, the time that we live in. You can't, yeah. you can't choose them all. Right. Uh, now, and again, right. you premise this by stating they got to be, Fit by yes. category. Yes. You see what I mean? Yes. So absolutely. you can't put AI at the right. three. At the three. <laughs> right. 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 It's <laughs> yeah. funny to me how cats do that. That's man. right. You know, cats be, be cats be moving them around and Yeah. And um, I don't think that's the, the 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 real way to play this, right? Yeah. And um, but for the sake for the audience, man, let's let's hear your five. Oh man. See, man, you know I was willing to throw the frisbee. I didn't want to catch that thing. Um <laughs> uh, I'm going to say, and in light of not being able to choose anyone you chose. Wow. Okay. 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 So, uh, you know, 
to give a little opposition if we had to run fives. <sighs> Goodness. I'm going to start with my five. Okay. And I'm going to go with Shaq. Ooh. Uh, Can't go wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I got to have Shaq in his prime because, you know. Yeah, it would. Right, 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 right. What you going to do with that, man? Uh, (laughs) I think for my one, um, I'm going to go with the one that I felt gave Magic the biggest headache throughout his career uh, in point guard battles, and that's Isaiah Thomas. No doubt. Absolutely. Um, You know, I think in his prime, I I think, you know, as much as he's been villainized. Yes. um, um, his, uh, His game level. Uh, has just been unmistakably underrated to me. Yeah, um, I would agree with because that. of the whole bad boy, right? And, you know, just all this stuff, man. But Isaiah Thomas, yeah, that boy was cold, man. No doubt. Uh, so that would be my one. I think at my two, I'm gonna throw Kobe in there. Okay, that's fitting. Um, to go ahead and run out with Mike. That's right. Um, at my three, I got I got to put LeBron there. Okay, uh, it's I like just. It. You know, ain't no two ways about that. That's right. Um, but I think he comps well against someone like Pippen. I think that would be an interesting, yeah, uh, you know, right. uh, matchup. Uh, and at my four, this is really difficult. Uh, but I think so. I can pair well. I think I'm gonna take a uh, a KG in his prime, man. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to go with Kevin Garnett. Wow. And uh, now, I had your four, but I didn't have your I didn't have your power forward because I thought you were going to go with Carl Malone. Nah. So that 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 that's a twist. No, nah. wow. I would have grabbed Rain Man before Carl Malone. OK, yeah. OK, OK. Yeah. When now, that's thinking, a sweet, though. Yeah. When you when you think in prime, you know. Yeah. I almost went Rain Man, but I said, no, I'm a. I'm a cool out. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's enough, interesting. Yeah, that's, that's enough a cool down lineup, for though. Me. Yeah, I, th- I think it'd be competitive. Yeah, you know, you, you picked all the, you picked all the all stars <laughs> and legends and and Hall of Fame gods in the game. And, but um, I wanna I, I wanna tail that back to, um, the culture. You know, we met uh, through the NAACP. Absolutely. And the advocacy for the culture. Um, you know, we had an interesting run uh, in our time there. But when you think about the work, when you think about what's going on in society, um, and I don't know if you've, you know, been invested this way, but who are those that you uh, regard as champions for the culture right now um, that you either got your eye on or you're watching or, you know, whether you see them from a political space or, they're doing something in advocacy or it maybe it's someone in sports, but uh, who's caught your attention over the last couple of years, man, uh, since we were holding our posts uh, with, with, with NAACP and, and, and why um, are those your guys that are girls that, that you're looking at right now to carry the torch for the culture? A mentor of mine, somebody that I am profoundly uh uh impressed with for years uh it was 2001 i think it was when i got the opportunity to meet dr carl mack now and i'm gonna let you expound yes 
But if y'all don't know the good Dr. Carl Mack, <laughs> y'all, y'all need to go ahead and get your Google on, you know, go 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 find this brother uh, online. Um, you know, it's funny because I've been knowing and hearing about him uh, since I was a young man. I guess yes. I was a, a really uh, a teenager kind of uh, coming up. And I think when he kind of took the helm here in, in Seattle, um, man, he was such a, a uh, radical. He was such a flame. Yes. That, man, it just... I think it was the first time, and maybe sometime, and certainly in the field of advocacy for civil rights out here that, you know, the city woke up. Absolutely. And the city extended. I'm talking, you know, when you moving from the town down to the Fedways and the Tacomas and on out, uh, we became hyper aware that there was a brother in the NAACP that was making some noise. That's right. um, On our behalf. And yeah, radical to, to say the least. Absolutely. But certainly when you think about the time, yes, that era, you know, when when he got in, man, you yeah. know, um, he was very much a right now guy yes. back then. Right. Um, and my dad's the one that hit me to him. And my, my grandma was hip to him. Um, and a few of my mentors, uh, Dr. Maxine Mims was hip Absolutely. to him. And, um, you know, Dr. Horn, just, just a few cats around here that I consider, um, you know, my elders. Yes. Um, and those that I honor. Uh, but this brother is indeed a proven, strong, Absolutely. viable advocate for the culture, man. So tell me, tell me, you know, what Carl Mack represents for you. Man, uh, Carl Mack is the epitome of civil rights to me, mm. uh, personally. Um, many whom I've seen from a distance and afar um don't know personally that i've admired their work from afar Hmm. but with carl we have a personal relationship and right uh, and carl if you're looking listen when you left the two messages on my voicemail i ain't even deleted them that's carl (laughs) that's what you mean to your boy so Carl, man, is just one of the most solid brothers I know, man. He yes, gonna, indeed. Um, and we need that among men. We yes. need accountability. Um, he has no problem telling you when you're right, and he has no problem right. telling you when you're wrong. Absolutely. And you need that. Absolutely. You know, that's who Carl Mack is. I can call him at any time. He picks up the phone. He's always available. Um, and, uh, and, man, I just love the brother, man. So he's doing a lot of work. You know, the, the, the thing that, and I, and I don't know... Uh, Carl personally, but he is someone that I've watched Over from afar, and, yes. I, and, and I see what time it is, and I've known of him, and I feel like um, I've kind of you know grown up uh, with the presence of you know his leadership nearby, particularly around you know the Seattle area. Um, I call it the isms, you know, with everything that, that uh, culture represents. You got these dynamics that are in the isms of a thing, you right? Know? A certain family can have their ways, and that's they, you know, that's yeah. their isms. Right. Um, and I think in the greatest spaces of us in the culture, um, there's some there's some mystery, some mystical uh, isms amongst very powerful black men. Yes. Yes. And uh, you know, when I when I uh, you know think about him, I'm like, yeah, my dude got them isms, though. You know, he got the right. He got that alpha. 
look, man, let's deal with it. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, when we convene and we connect and our crew and our brothers and we get together, man, we deal with it. That's right. And they right. know, you know. Right. You got a deal. That's right. This ain't about no conflict and this ain't about no confrontation. And if it is, so what? Right. We're right. going to weed through, you know, what it is. Right. Um, and if I'm wrong in an assessment, well, then, man, lock me in and correct me and, and, and let me know what time it is and, and right. show me the right way. Right. And and that's what you get. That's what I get from him. Absolutely. Is he's got those isms on him. And so. He's about it. You know, hopefully at some point we can zoom him in on one of our man, on one of our shows. We man, can make and, it happen and, uh, and and have a gathering. Does anyone else come to mind? Like, what do you, when you think of it from a sports standpoint, who do you think is leading culture in sports right now? Well, I think uh, one of the things that I admire about one of the people that you chose was LeBron, you know, um, certainly Colin Kaepernick, you know. Um, now, let's stay there for a minute with Cap. Okay. Now, you know, LeBron, yes, we know. But, yes. but you know, because I, I think his his imprint yes. um, is very evident. Yes. Walk with me with Cap. You know, there's there's a there's a lot of variety of opinions. Of, of opinions <laughs> yes. around how Cap move. Yeah. Now, as someone that has been deeply involved in outreach and advocacy myself, particularly the importance of it on the local level. Um, when you bless in the town where you're from and you and you're engaged in that work, um, it is a deep, intimate uh, thing. Yes. Right. Um, and when you have to look at how many of us are proliferated through sports culture. Yes. And participating at all kinds of levels of it from youth on all the way up um, to the jobs, uh, the ancillary stuff, you know, whether you're a trainer or you're a coach or uh, uh, you're, you're in some kind of a executive uh, position or shit, man, you work security at the game or you holding down the concession stand in the hood for the little kids at the Pop Warner League, whatever. Right. There's a big, gigantic community of us in sport culture Um all the way through from A to Z. Yes. And then an instance like Cap happens. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> right? Right. The whole shit gets shook up. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you... Do? Tell, me, tell me what that was for you, man. And, and, and how, how do you synthesize that with your advocacy? And, and how do you make sense of that uh, for... Um, you know, with, with respect to what it is that you are for about it or against about it? Yeah, one, number one, I think uh, when you deal with civil rights and participation in civil rights, um, woe be unto the man who has a lack of courage. Hmm. It takes a lot of courage yes. uh, to stand out front. Yes. You know? So first and foremost, to be able to to make your position and to stand on it. Yeah. It ain't just to make it, but Cap has been advocating and saying, yeah, but this ain't cool. Yeah. You know, um, so much so that, uh, you know, the likelihood of ever uh, seeing him on a football field again will never happen. It's not going to happen. You know, yeah. so um, when you're talking about civil rights and you talk about Colin Kaepernick, 
what that does for me is it says, I'm willing to die for what I believe in. Hmm. I'm that engaged in it that if it got to go that far, it's got to go that far. But knowing that if I take the stand, I may not ever see it through fruition while I'm here. Hmm. But the hope is that when I'm long gone, there will be others who will be able to stand with courage and mm-hmm. be able to speak their mind in their truth. Was the NFL wrong with its initial stance it took? Absolutely. Uh, with Cap? Yes. And what, what, what are those factors for you? Well, I think uh, there are many different portrayals of disrespecting the flag, you know, was one. And um, that's not what Cap was saying. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's sort of like, uh, and I've listened to many of your tracks and many of your songs, but I've also had personal conversations with you in regards to some of those. And so I, I think it's not enough just to hear the beat, but not be able to hear the story behind the beat. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? And I think in order to really understand Cap and his purpose and his mission behind his stance, mm-hmm. you got to talk to the man, sure. you know, and you cannot just assume anything. You know, and I think that he's been misrepresented and uh, and I think it's unfortunate because I think his stance alone ought to give every black man in America the courage to say, man, if he can do it, I can do it. Now, yeah. when I say that, I'm not talking about the end result because the end result was, yes, he, he wanted to be back in the NFL, but but he was standing for a cause. And that cause, in my opinion, was greater than him coming back to the NFL. I think that comes with the territory if you're going to decide to to be that outspoken. Hmm. I mean, obviously being the uh uh the chair on the on the NAACP in your role mm-hmm. uh for education. Mm-hmm. I'm certain that there were times within our time frame of being in the NAACP and I'll let you speak about it in which we were confronted with not having funds for uh, one of our platforms mm-hmm. and um, and your organization stood up and you came to rescue and help that out. So I think it's the same passion that you had in that moment to say those kids shouldn't suffer. Right. It was your nonprofit that came in to make that happen. So a lot of people obviously don't know about that. But man, why don't you talk a little bit of just a little bit about that and how you were able to coming from your civil rights background and the passion that you have for it, why did you then go in and help out in that area to make sure that those kids were able to go to AXO? Um, you know, that, that, was a, uh, <laughs> that was a very unique situation, you know, to be in. Um, and and I, I don't want to get into too much of it uh, in, in this space, but here, the, the spirit in which I operate outreach through is one I'm born with. Yes. It's one that I'm, uh, uh, you know, a descendant of on, on, on a certain level. The other part is I'm that kid that grew up participating in everything with no tools. Mm, got it. Right. And I was really good at everything I did. Yes. Despite having no tools. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So I was in every sport. I was in every activity. Yes. Um, 
I was at whatever camp. I was at, you name it, you whatever the hell was going on. That's right. I was in it to do it. Yes. And, but you know, I didn't, I didn't have the things that made the experiences easier or more pleasurable or anything like that. Once I came of age as an adult and I started getting into the outreach space, that was my number one thing was when I lecture and I go out amongst these schools or I go out, go out amongst the community, I flatline them the truth. That's right. Here's what you need in, in this game, in this game, in this field, in this field, in this field. Here's the tools you're going to need to have. Mm-hmm. Here's how you need to structure um, your situation so you can have. So when I see, um, especially if I'm around or I'm a part of something not happening uh, that involves youth, I feel a, a certain kind of way with that. Yeah. I'll, I'll be the first to kind of just jump in and say, man, let's go get it. Right. Um, and I got a long pattern of that uh, in, in, in my own work. Uh, but that particular situation was just, um, no, I could not let that. Right. I, no, not right. while I'm there. Right. That's just, there, there just ain't no way, man. Right. Um, I grew up in a family that there ain't no way you get to beat my brother up. Right. Exactly. It's just, it's just no. Right. We, we ain't gonna do it. Right. Ain't no way you touching my mama. Ain't no way you touching my woman. Right. My child. It, it's just. Right. I'm fixed with that. Right. You are not, not without me. Right. Right. Yeah. You gonna you gonna have to ruin right. all of this, man. Right. Right. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? So it's like uh, that's just the mentality, um, and that's where I come from in the community space, and I and I get it. I, I think Cap had Cap had obviously a, a significant passion. Um, there's a part of me that wishes um, he would have been more accessible mm-hmm. um, to provide context and yes. to communicate and to talk to the culture. Right. Uh, and to be available for that. Now, mind you, there's a lot of ways to protest. Right. And, and, and silently and peacefully is certainly one of them. Right. Right. And, uh, and and I think he went about doing that. And I think he's on the right side of history with, with respect to that. Yeah. Um, but I think also, uh, you know, the critical conversation to have is what about those that are offended? What about those that uh, see it a different way? That's right. What about those that buy tickets and revere to look at it like this? What about those and whether they whether they got a seat in the stands uh, they were an executive in the front office, or they are a fellow player that uh, doesn't agree. Right. Um, I think one of the one of the uh, most powerful attributes uh, to be an American is, and and probably the most undermined, is the tremendous privilege we have when it comes to choice. Yes. And options in exercising freedom. Yes. Uh, you know, because oftentimes, you know, we got first world problems in a lot of ways. Um, now we might have traumas that have third world resonance. Absolutely. Uh, in our culture, uh, when you consider the, the, the transatlantic slave trade, you definitely got to deal, um, with, uh, some of the psychological and spiritual ramifications, but from a straight up surface level, um, a first world problem is we are unsatisfied 
with the way things have played out in this country, yet this country has all this benefit and privilege that it projects itself to have. Right. Um, but we have this little misnomer. We have this, uh, for some reason, we have not properly calculated that those that are supposed to be way makers or facilitators to keep these rights uh, inherently authentic mm-hmm. and afford it to all of us. That's right. Um, does that person have the qualification and the ability to exercise that on my behalf? Uh, I don't know if I can let that slip. I don't know if I trust putting that all the way in your lap. I see. Because, uh, you know, I don't I know you got a position. Yes. But, you know, are you thinking about me when you go? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I don't know. I can't rest on that. I wasn't raised that way. Right. I was raised to have that consideration for myself. Yes. And to do something about it for myself as best as I can. Um, that way, if I do got to make noise, I can use whatever platform or relationships to say, hey, I'm here, but I'm not unqualified. That's right. And I think sometimes, and you know this, man, there's a hierarchy in the professional scale of any of this stuff. There shouldn't be, but there is. Right. And there's a hierarchy in advocacy. There's a hierarchy in politics. There's a hierarchy in uh, 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 activism. Yes. Um, you know, there's a thousand groups out here that are funded for our problems. Yes. That ain't got nothing to do with our culture. Wow. That's rich. Right? Yeah. Um, where most of us who know who have solutions and wherewithal and cachet and resume and connections and skill sets to deal with our culture, we ain't, we ain't on their boards and we ain't on their... And I ain't talking about from within the culture. Yeah. I'm not talking about the crumbs and the twos and fews that they give to our organizations when they should be bestowed with tens of millions yes. to handle our, our culture and our issues. Right. Uh, you know, you didn't put me on my post now, but I, but I, I just, I feel that way about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Um, we have issues that require a lot of uh, sensitive dynamics that the right people have to be engaged in to help us evolve mm-hmm. out of. And so, when some when something like cap happens, yes, as it should, yes. There's a part of it that it's so what it is. It, it sometimes feels like it blankets what's going on right on the ground, right around the corner. I get it. Yeah, you know, it, there, absolutely. There, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because now all the resources are, you know, the light is shown here. Sure. And media is there. And that's right. the hot topic, and that's the thing. Right. And 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 he's an intelligent brother, and he's and he's he's a bit introverted, and right. uh, you know he's hard to get to. He's hard to get at. Right. Uh, and he, he's a bit obscure as a quote unquote advocate for the culture. Right. But he did a profound thing. Right. That that you know raised the roof on on a lot of stuff that it might take a thousand of us to do. That's right. To equal that one move, you know, that he did. Yeah. Um, and so it just becomes a matter of, you know, how are we able to, um, you know, have individuals like him follow all the way through, mm-hmm. not that they have to. Right. But even if it's not them, how do the organizations flow through to where, you know, the impact on the community mm-hmm. uh, is, is going to act absolutely, you know, cause change. Um, granted, 
he lit a fire. Yes. And, 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 and one that needed, you know, people needed to feel that heat. Absolutely. Uh, so I just, it, it's interesting to me when I think about uh, some of the things that are going on in our culture. Yes. And, and how we as a people are trying to power through some of it. Right. Uh, and it's a very difficult thing. And part of my hope is that uh, people of non-color um, dare to find empathetic pathways to understand how deep this thing is. Yes. This thing is deep. Well, to, 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 to even uh, add to that, man, to, you know, does someone outside of our race have the empathy to empathize with what we've endured? Um, and I think that's the question, because if it doesn't hit home for you, then there is no empathy. Mm -hmm. Therefore, there is no change because it right. doesn't affect me. But when it emotionally, psychologically, mm -hmm. physically starts knocking on your door mm -hmm. and saying, that ain't right. right. I'm not good with that. Right. You'll see our world change. You'll right. see leaders that don't look like us that are advocating for us. Yes. Because now empathy is knocked on their door. And it really calls them into a place of accountability to say, I can't live with that. Right. And, and I think that's, that's coming to grips with understanding that empathy is an intelligence. Right. Um, it is a value. Um, I think, uh, you know, people have to understand that to empathize and want what's best for another is ultimately what's best for you. So it's like say that again. Yeah. Yeah. That was rich. <laughs> say that again. That, you know, to empathize for another. Yes. Ultimately is what's best for you. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. at the end of the day, um, and, and I'm not trying to sound cliche, um, but, you know, to do unto others. Right. You know, you should do it as you'd want it done unto yourself. And unfortunately, that doesn't get properly you know, contextualize. Uh, it becomes an, another one of those dismissive terms and dismissive slogans and people hear it and say, oh, that's cool. Right. But you don't really scientifically break down where it has value. Right. There's tremendous value in being empathetic. There's other ways you could call for it. You could say that it's intuitive. That's right. Right. You can you can say that it's uh, uh, it's a skill set to anticipate. Right. 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 Um, it is uh, predictive. Yes. Right. There's there's um, components of it that allow you insights, uh, which al allows you to research better, allows you to communicate better. Absolutely. It, it allows you to collaborate uh, better. And if ultimately you're saying we all want want what's best for ourselves and for our families and, and for our society, uh, we understand it's America. Right. This 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 whole thing is one big football game. Right. You know, but as long as everybody's got helmets and shoulder pads and some good coaching and, right, uh, you know, all the other tools that every other team has, then let the let the best players win. Yes. But if you ain't ever had to play my position. Yes. And all you've ever played is quarterback. Yes. And you've never had to hike the ball. Yes. And you've never been that guard or that defensive end or that linebacker, that edge rusher on the, you know. Yeah then you're unaware, Absolutely. even though you're on the field yes. and you see it, you have a um, 
an adequate perception of what that actual role entails. And so I think that that's kind of the construct that the, um, the culture has to now start to try to find ways to mandate. You need to respect me and I have to respect myself in such a way that I have the measurables yes. to make it absolutely um, idiotic to not appropriate my value the correct way. That's, I like that. You, you see what I'm saying? Yes. Like yes. You'd be a fool. Right. You hurting yourself, not drafting me. That's right. That's right. right. Take yeah. keys from some of your other industries that have figured out how to assess some degree of value when yes. it comes to us. Right, 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 right. right. But if you take that, some of those methodologies, and you apply it to lifestyle, you apply it to education, you apply it to society in, in whatever way that you can, um, without pimping it and, and soliciting it, if you would, but really given those, uh, those metrics, that we are a phenomenal culture. Absolutely. We spend trillions every year. We yes. add to the consumer market. That's right. Um, we're loyal. Yes. We're prideful. Yes. Uh, we're colorful in all ways. That's right. Um, whether you talk in the arts, whether you talk in science, whether you talk in, in innovation, we're historical. We are absolutely, I would argue, the most resilient creatures to ever walk the damn planet. No doubt about that it. That under all circumstances, we can still produce. And That's we right. have. Yes. Um, so there's no excuse for why you can't have no empathy as to what this is. Right, right. Just right. go on and dig in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And let's right. start collaborating on figuring this thing out. Right. And to hell with all this other stuff. I agree with that. You know what I'm saying? Because it's taken away from you. Why wouldn't you want me to have money? Right. Why wouldn't you? Right. You know what I'm saying? I got no interest in owning that gas station, but I'm going to need gas every day. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? I ain't taking nothing away from you. That's you know right. What I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. just, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. And so with all your history of advocacy and from being a pastor, from being a former athlete, a team leader, and I, and, and I want to hunker down there because we got to stop this notion that people aren't leading and dealing with heavy responsibility right there on the ground as kids, especially in sports. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Um, where you're having to look out for teammates and, 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 and different things that, that's going on. The responsibility is on the shoulders of a uh, elementary, middle school, or high school athlete is, is a tremendous thing, especially when you're one of the stars. But yes. from that period all the way till now, pastoring, business, and everything that you've done. Um, how do you see advocacy right now? And how do you see resolving what's going on with, with the social plights? Well, I think it, 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 it warrants the responsibility of all of us, first and foremost. Uh, I think oftentimes what we look at is um, who's going to be the next great leader. Um, and that person is you. Uh, so that means we all have a dual responsibility. So there is no one individual uh, that should be guiding and leading. I think that we all have the ability to lead in our respective spaces and what we do. So, uh, for example, in the music industry and in the entertainment industry, uh, you're hard, uh, a big influencer in that space. Um, whether we're at the lounge, uh, you know, people seek you out. Hey, shy, what about this? Hey, shy, what about that? So again, 
just being able to be around you, I've come to that conclusion that, man, we have that responsibility no matter where we're at, you know? Uh, so um, now in my particular spaces, uh, and I had a brief call before I, I, you know, I left the house headed here and that conversation went something like this, um, I'm gonna need you to be accountable. Hmm. You know, these are the things that I stated out you haven't got them done yet, mm. you know. So, um, so in the business world, uh, you know, I'm 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 very um, inundated with success because success to me means no excuses. It means um, if you try and you don't get it, you keep trying. Yes. You don't quit. So. When others are saying, hey, I want your tutelage and I want your guidance and then I'm telling you what it's going to take and then you tell me you're ready, but then you don't do it, then I have to agree with you that you're not ready. But more importantly, then I have to go back and question myself and say, have I been a good leader? Mm. You see, so if I don't take any responsibility for my leadership, then I never really am able to see that. I can potentially be the problem myself. Right. Okay. Um, now, I don't know a whole lot of people that are willing to acknowledge that publicly. Right. That I've just done a poor job. Right. Now, we can help you once you acknowledge it because we can rally around you to say, well, what in place, how can we help you? Right. You see? Right. So I think where I'm going with this is that I think we have a lot of people in our community that look like us that have great intentions, just don't really have the leadership qualities and skills to do it. Mm. And I think what we have to do is be honest enough to say, I've, I've got the will to do it, but I really don't know what I'm doing. Right, right. I'm fast, but I'm not strong. That's right. I'm strong, but I'm not agile. That's right. You know, I'm agile, but I'm not too smart. Or, you know, I'm smart, right. but I'm not athletic. Right. And, and you can have a great business plan. Yeah. You're just not a good public relations guy. Right. So you don't know how to put that together. But right. if they came and talked to Shy about, oh, man, that's simple. He always right. got an answer for that. Right. My point is, is that we've got to be wise enough to not only be wise enough to know that we don't have it, but be equally wise enough to go get it from the people that we know that have it. Man, that's powerful. You know, you and I are probably going to do another few hours before <laughs> before we done. Uh, but for the sake of the show, man, it has been a tremendous pleasure uh, man, to always. have you here, man, uh, to get your insight, some tidbits from your story. Um, obviously, you're going to be a reoccurring contributor as man, we move we're through, man. To it. It's going to be a beautiful thing, man. So I, 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 I'm blessed uh, to have you here. I look forward to a whole lot more, man. You've been a huge okay. value add. Uh, into my life. Uh, we've had uh, a tremendous amount of conversations and we'll have thousands more. Um, but I can't wait, man, to uh, allow this to get out there and get onto the airwaves, man, and introduce um, our constituency around the world to my good brother, the pastor Palms, uh, the businessman Palms, the father Palms, yes. um, the dude of dudes, uh, Palms, man, you you are a way maker and, and a lifestyle maker, man, and a taste maker to the game. And I just want to let you know, man, that you're cherished and love. I appreciate you being here. One love, fam. Absolutely. This is Cheyenne Salah. Tonight, one of my main dudes, 
giving you guys another example of what it is when you're really working through this thing that we call life. My brother Palms was with us, real to the deal, real here, right here on the compound, on the ground, baby. Wishing you all the best. Make sure you go get yours. Life. Yeah. I'm the day.